Okay, my name's Christian, for those that don't know, and um, I will be taking the word today. And we'll kick off today with a little question for you. Um, who, what did we do last week? If we can remember. Josh, you're up straight away again. Go on. Identity. Very good. I've still got some Christmas chocolate here, which I'm getting through. So, I'll, um, Do you want to come up now, do you? You can take that now if you want to have something to munch on through the service. Uh, well done, Josh. Excellent. So we started our, our uh, service on identity. Don't worry, people that have not won yet. There's still more, two more chocolate bars down here, actually. So uh, if, you, uh, if you're attentive, then you might win. You might get something. You look excited for that. I'm glad you're here today. Right. Okay. We're looking happy today. You're looking excited. This is nice. Excellent. So what does identity even mean? Then, if I started to talk about identity, what are we talking about? Because I hear the word identity used in lots and lots of different phrases and ways these days. So what does the word identity mean to you? Very good. I would go along with that a lot of the time. How people see you. Um, okay, so that, that would be a, a lot of the time um, how we could put our identity in, how people see me. Anyone else? That's a good, that's a good one, though, like that, how people see me. How we see ourselves, okay? So we can identify ourselves with how I see myself. This is how I see myself. I see myself as a whatever. Um, or I see myself, I can't, I, I'm going to be careful with what I say. But I see myself as a pastor, I could say. Or I see myself as a father. I could say I see myself as a son. I could say I see myself as a ex-math teacher. Who's to say? And, uh, and there we are. So where should we put it? Now, if you were listening to Beth last week, you shouldn't have a problem with this, but let's see how much you were taking note of Beth's excellent sermon last week. Where should we put it? Dean, he's keeping his head down today. I, you're normally there, so I normally pick on you. Now you're at the back, and I'm still picking on you. It's terrible. Um, where should we put our identity? Anyone paying any attention last week? This is what happens. You preach, and seven days later... It's all right, don't worry about it. It's like it happens to me when I used to teach master forgotten the day that in, in our driving license. <laughs> Very good. We're supposed to be in our driving license. Win a bar of chocolate. You can't even eat it, can you? So uh, <laughs> give it away to somebody else. Um, there we are. The best milk. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, there's not one bar left, but it's fair trade. Christmas blessings on you there, Andy, or whatever. But I'm not allowed it. There's 50 grams of sugar per 100, so that's definitely not going to be eaten by me. Anyway, that's my issue, not yours. So, moving swiftly on, uh, we should not put it in our driving license. Uh, that was actually the opposite of what Beth was trying to say. But, uh, but it gives us a good springboard into what we're talking about today. So, I was a math teacher for 20 years. So, we'll go back to that. And um, I, I, over the course of a number of years, I started to become good at the job. Okay, and, and people thought so. People, it was interesting you saying that, what people tell you. People were telling me I was good at the job. Students loved being in my lessons, not for the wrong reasons, because they could get away with anything. I will add that right now. But people did like being in there. The head teacher thought I was great at the, great at the job. Can't, the county would be employing me to do work in other schools. So I was being told again and again and again that I was a good teacher. I was a very good teacher. And without realizing it, Without realizing it, slowly I started to put my identity into being a teacher. It's very sneaky. Success can be very seductive. And after a little bit, I'm not saying fully, but bit by bit, there was parts of me that were saying, well, actually, I'm a pretty good teacher. I can do this job very, very well. 
and it got really good until 20 years, 20 years in the job, and I didn't have any, any exclusions, or, per, or no one got permanently or temporarily excluded from any of my lessons. You know, my behavior management was astounding. Apart from one afternoon, one afternoon where I had one suspension and one permanent exclusion. It was very good lesson. <laughs> I won't go why. But, um, but basically, I had two lessons on the bounce that were atrocious. And it really floored me. I mean, really floored me. To a degree where I came out of the afternoon thinking, gosh, I'm, that was useless. I'm absolutely useless. I am absolutely useless. Notice the language here. Not those lessons were no good. I am no good. Have you ever said that about yourself? Have you ever called yourself useless? Have you ever called yourself no good? Not good enough. Not hitting the standard. Not being good enough for purpose. Whatever it takes. Have you ever said that? Because that's exactly what I called myself there and then. I'm not going to do this. I can't do it. I'm no good for this anymore. And... I would honestly, still, it, it took a while, but I would feel great or terrible based on the GCSE or A-level results of the year. It would all be based on those kind of things. The quality of my lessons. If the results weren't excellent, then I was really hard on myself. And it was all because it was wrapped up in my identity of who I saw myself as. I wouldn't say fully, because I don't think we just put ourselves usually into one pot. I did see once when I was teaching in one school, um, I was teaching a top set class, I remember this still, and I was going through this particular lesson and this, the top set, top set kids usually get maths really fast like this, really, really fast. They don't even have to think if you're in the top set, you just present it to them and they get it straight away. But I, I picked a problem that was really hard and so I, I gave it to this class I think it was in Gloucester, this school, actually. Gave it to this class. Uh, it's, it's no slight on Gloucester, but I remember the school. Uh, and, um, and, I, and this one girl spent about 30 seconds, a minute on it, and she couldn't get it. She just didn't get the problem at all, which was the whole point, actually. You were supposed to spend a long time on it. She didn't get it in 30 seconds. She was used to getting it in 30 seconds. So she turned to a friend and immediately changed the subject onto how good she was at dance. So where's her identity? Do you know what I'm saying? I, I'm no good at there anymore. I don't like the feeling I'm getting anymore. So I'm going to now talk about something I am good at again. So immediately we kind of put our hearts and our identities and what we see ourselves in in different things, in different pots. And it's very easy to do so. Now, I'll, I'll unpack this bit by bit as we go through it. But Daniel read a scripture where he said that Jesus gives us the right to become, or the Father gives us, the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. So, we have the right, we have the free will to choose where to place our identity. Does that make sense? Yeah? We, have, we can. Now, you might say, well, I've already made myself a child of God. That's great. Yes, you probably have. If you're a Christian in this house right now, you probably have already done that. But we don't always live it. Does that make sense? We don't always live there. We don't always place that fully in that place. So we can take our identities off what other people will say, of other opinions, 
others. But this does vary, doesn't it? Yeah. Just for me, some people think I'm a success, others think I'm a failure. Who's right? Where do I go? I can show you a lot of people who think I'm a failure. When I said I was becoming a pastor, straight off, they were like, oh, really? That's a good one, you know? Yeah, straight off the bat. That was an interesting one. We could take our feelings from our, we could take our feelings from our identity. We could take our identity from our feelings. But that will vary, will it not? Some days I feel great. Other days I feel just happy. Yes. And other days I'm not brilliant. But you get the idea. Some days I may feel like one thing. Some days I may feel like another thing. You, you, your feelings will change from day to day to day. Having worked in a school, I have seen this happen in frightening ways, where people identify through their feelings throughout one day, and then they change and switch to a week later to something else. And it is scary how quickly it happens on some really significant issues. I've seen it happen where one person identified as one thing for two years and then completely changed within another year. It changes on feelings like that again and again and again. And if we place our identity on how we feel, then we are going to be on a slippery slope. We're building on sand. We can't build our identity on these things. We can take our identity by comparing ourselves to others. Can we not? Yes. You could look at somebody and go, they're earning more than me. They are more successful in their job than me. They are funnier than me, or whatever. This is what I do all the time. I don't. But you get the idea. You can do it. A lot of people will do that. And it is important that we don't. We are obviously continuing our series today on who we think we are. So we're going to go from building on what Beth did last week, where she was talking about that we're made in the Creator's image. And this time, we're going to look more and more and more on seeing ourselves as children of God. Because seeing God as our Father is where we need to be placing our concrete image. Making sense? And really, I'm going to unpack how to do that more than anything else. But we will get to that in a second. God says time and again in the word, we are his children. 1 John 3 verse 1 says the following. See how very much our father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. That's who we are. That can't change. That identity cannot change. That is who you are. If you are at the point of salvation, that can't change. What does that even mean? There's a question to go with. Anyone? Everyone look at the floor. Oh, please don't ask me. I'm not, it's not a score situation. Don't worry. I'm not going to pick on you just because you don't look like you're paying attention or you're munching on something. <laughs> Empty your mouth now. Right. Uh, any ideas? What does it mean? Do you know, actually, I honestly didn't think it mattered for years. I'd heard it, I'd sung it, I'd read it. I didn't think it mattered. I didn't explore it at all. But literally, at basic level, it means that we've been reborn at salvation. That as we repented of our sins, as we placed and received God's salvation and gave our lives to Jesus, that there's been a switch inside of us. Yes? Does that make sense? There's been a switch in our nature. Our genetic code has changed, so to speak. We good with that? You've got new genes. New genes. New genes. You've got new genes. 
All right, that's really good news. Your genetic code now is the father's code. That's now what's inside of us. Yes, are we happy with that? Good news, excellent. His nature, as Beth was actually talking about last week, his nature is now our nature. We can now look to that and say, well, that's the nature that's flowing through us. As his genes are passed down to us, that that's what we, we can now look to see some of that flowing into us. Um, I mean, you can see that in life. Like, my wife is amazing at art. I am not, but she is. And then if you look at my kids, they are also very, very good at art. As you will see, Daniel now drawing a picture of something fantastic while I even preach. <laughs> what I hope is happening is that he's getting some divine inspiration, some prophetic picture that will actually be helping him to understand this preach on a more visual level. And that's what I con myself to believe every time. But actually, my kids outgrew my artistic talent at the age of four. Well, I could do about the one cartoon picture of a dog. They were doing pictures of Lionel Messi or whatever it was. And it was uh, a little bit better than anywhere I could get to. But, but basically, God's genes are in us. And that's really exciting. Or it should be. Yeah? It's, it's very, very good news. Because God's a God of love. So that means that his love genes are flowing through you. His love DNA is inside of you. That's good. If you like that, you can go, yay! yay. Hey, that's good. Audience participation means a lot to me. But that's really good. God is a God of peace, is he not? Yes, yeah, so peace lives inside of you, does it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah can't have it more, yeah. Right, joy lives inside of you. God's a God of joy. Yay! Brilliant, we'll get there with this. Being born into God's family means that we're set free from the power of the past. That's good news, all right? Our past, oh, get this, nothing more. Our past doesn't have to determine our future, okay? We have got new parent now, and that is going to determine who you are going to be in the future, who you're going to be in the future. Not just what am I going to do, God, now, but who am I going to be? Got it? This is crucial. When Jesus came and he did his Sermon on the Mount, he didn't just go, right, I want you to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. He said, I want you to be, and then be, and then be. He kept on using the word be. Why did he keep using the word be rather than do? From the heart. Yes, brilliant. The actions flow from the heart. Be more loving. Be, love your enemy. Be forgiving. So, <laughs> be caring to one another. It was always be, yeah. It wasn't like, you know, just try and tick the right boxes. It was all from the heart. So when he said, like, don't, you read, do not murder. That's like, well, I, I, anyone can do that, really, yeah. But he said, well, I'm telling you not to hate. That's right from the heart. Be loving. Be caring. Be absolutely grateful for everything that's going on. This is going right the way to the very core. Jesus lifted it right the way to the top of the moral charts. And said, okay, you need a complete new identity. And it's going to come right from the core of who you are. So I'm going to switch that code, and I'm going to make it something where you are going to be able to live it through me, through us, through my strength, through God's strength. All right, I'm well off the page, but there we are. We're children of God. He's our Father. Okay? I'm going to say this again and again and again. 
And that identity cannot be changed. My eldest son, James, he's gone off to university, but he's still my son, right? Even though he's gone off to university, he might not text me and call me sometimes, but it still doesn't stop the fact that he's my son, all right? He remains my son forever now. He remains in my family now forever. He remains of my genetic code forever. He can't shift that. He can't change that, can he? As much as he might like to try. He, he won't do it, okay? And it's the same thing. Our Heavenly Father never disowns us. He, his, our place is permanent in his family. Even for people that are no longer walking with God right now, even for people who've left the house of God right now, that the same grace is extended to them. Amen? Yeah? And God calls them and calls them and calls them. Right. We're never going to get through all this, so it's time to cut some stuff. So, um, I did say, as Christians, it's really easy to know that we're his children, but losing our minds and in our hearts, that very truth. So I want to really get to the bottom of this. We get to know we're his children by getting to know him. Okay? There are a ton of scriptures that back that up. Unfortunately, I've got no time. We're going to have to cut some stuff out now. But the more we get to know him, the more we understand that he is our father, the more we put our identity. It naturally happens because that becomes our satisfaction. Yeah? And that's really the reason when I was a teacher, a lot of the time I was gaining my satisfaction from other things and looking for it was because I wasn't getting the same satisfaction from my identity in God. Does that make sense? So that when we get the true satisfaction, when we get the true joy, when we get the true purpose of our lives, more and more so, then we replace the junk away and we put it in God. And that's really, really, really how we are wanting to pursue our lives. So how to get to know God better in Three, three ways, there's a ton of ways, but three things we're going to have a look. The first thing, Philippians 3.8, believe that knowing God is better than anything else in life. This is something which I've come back to um, a lot of late because it's something which is so, so, so vital. So in Philippians 3.8, it says this, yes, everything else, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite knowledge or knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake... I have discarded everything else and chucked out all my DVDs and all the rest of it, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Everything is garbage in comparison. That's a bold statement. Everything is garbage. All things, it says in other translations, are worthless when compared to knowing God. Now, knowing doesn't just mean I'm getting to know bits and bobs of him in my mind intellectually. It also means a heart revelation of him. It means that I'm experiencing him, experiencing his love, his grace, his peace, his presence. Are you with me? So that's what he's talking about there. He wrote this, this in prison. So when Paul was writing this, this is sandwiched between rejoice in the Lord always and a bit later on, I will say it again, rejoice. He's got rejoice, rejoice between the two going on here and he's saying, look, guys, the presence of God, knowing God is better than absolutely anything that you can possibly imagine. So I want you to imagine right now the best thing you like doing. If I said you can do anything right now, what is it? 
Think about it. I have no idea what it might be. It might be playing on the Xbox. It might be your phones. It might be your TVs. It might be the latest episode of, I don't know what the people watch these days, the latest episode of something. Whatever it is that you love doing, whatever it is that you spend a, love, a lovely amount of your time doing is garbage in comparison to the presence and knowledge of God. Now, I started to dwell on this verse of late, more and more and more and more and more. I've just come back to it, because sometimes we forget this stuff. Not in my head, I always knew in my head, but our hearts forget this stuff. And I've been amazed at what started to happen in my life, the impact that this has had. I've started to get up earlier to pray. Now, I love a lie-in. I really do love a lie-in. So I've had to go, getting to know God is better than a lie-in. Well, that's pretty hard, actually. I like a lie-in. But actually, that's the way it works. Getting to know God, getting into his presence, spending time with him, being with him, revelation from him is better than a lie-in. The more I dwell on that, the, more, the bigger impact it has. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this is the difference. So now, since I've dwelt just on this, since I've believed, this Christianity is a walk of faith, guys. Since I've believed in this one verse, I've started to get up earlier and I've started to give him the last half hour of every day just in the word and in prayer. And it's been brilliant just spending that time with him. It's just been a change of my life. And all of a sudden, I'm getting greater revelations from the word and nothing, nothing, nothing is remotely as satisfying as experiencing God. Now, we, we can nod and go, I agree, but if that's in your heart and that's believed, then that will change your life. I'll say that again. If you believe that, that'll change your life. All right? It's in the Bible. I didn't say it. I'm just quoting the Bible. But it's the truth. It will change you because all of a sudden you'll start prioritizing God's experience, God's time, rather than anything else. All right. Point two. Be still and know that I am God. Rafa is the word. It means let go, release. Relax in Jesus. Sit back. Do you know, actually, God never said, be busy and know that I am God. doesn't say that, does it? Have you noticed? Be busy. Go out. Do loads and loads and loads of stuff and know that I am God. Just be still. Be still. Take some time. You might be in a hurry. Just carve some time out somewhere. Have a moment. Pause. Relax in my presence. Enjoy my peace and get to know me. Consider my goodness. Soak in my love. Pause and get to know God. That's the message there. It's not done ever in a hurry. I have to say I've been a Christian for 20 plus years and I've never had a major experience of God's presence whilst running for late for something. It's never happened yet. Maybe you have, but it's never happened to me. I've never been going, oh man, I'm late and I'm wolfing down with breakfast and I'm getting on my bike and I'm going really, really, really fast to try and get to somewhere really fast. And all I'm doing is thinking how late I am. And I'm never in God's presence at that moment, ever going, oh, and the glory of the Lord is shining upon me. Just wait, see if you've ever, no? Anyone want to object to that? <laughs> no? Are we all on the same page there? You don't want to disagree with that verse there, no? Gosh, yeah, the atmosphere's changed. <laughs> 
because it become really challenging. Be still. Do you know, that's what Jesus spoke to the storm, wasn't it? Yeah? Peace, be still. And what happened to the storm? It calmed down. So that's what happens when Jesus speaks, be still. The storms of our souls calm down. Isn't that what we want? Yeah. I mean, we're looking for something like that, where all of a sudden peace hits our heart and we get to know him. So pause and spend some time. And the final one, number three, is God's word. So as we read God's word, ask the Holy Spirit to open it up. Ask the Holy Spirit to say, God, you know, what is it that you want me to learn from this? Um, I haven't got time to go through all of this, but when um, the disciples from the, on the road from, uh, to Emmaus were walking on the, uh, the street, Jesus came along and he opened the word to them, the Bible says. Yeah, and he says that their hearts were on fire as they listened to Jesus open the word to them. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus speaking to you while you're in the word and making your heart go on fire as you read the word, as you go, wow, I get that. That's amazing. That's Jesus just whispering and making the word on fire to us. All right? So how does this impact intentionally building a community? Oh, he's talking about it again. Yes, he is. Intentionally building a community, it makes a huge difference. Because it's essential that we need to be with God before we do anything for God. Got that? We cannot go out and do, 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 do and completely forget to be with him. We need to be with him first. Being with him, resting in him, resting in his presence is so much more important. Being with Jesus empowers us to transform our communities around us as our burning hearts, as it was in the road to Emmaus, give light to the world around us. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16 says the following, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Get this, so that everyone will see and praise your heavenly Father. Everyone will see, oh, there's the word Father again, interesting. Everyone will see your good deeds. As you spend time with God, you therefore go out and you will make a difference for God. Amen? Good. Sharon, do you want to come up and just share what you were um, dwelling on throughout this week? Because this is about mission, guys. This is about going out and making a difference in our communities. Remember we were talking in the vision, intentionally building community, intentionally transforming community is what we're trying to do. And a whole load of you know, it's excited to hear, are going out and doing that there. But we keep on, on coming back. So if you just want to share what you felt this week, please. Hi, morning everybody. Don't mind me, I brought my magnifying glass because I brought my small Bible. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, this morning actually, um, I was dwelling on the word of the Lord, and I, I, I was reminded of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 2 to 3. Uh, and it says, uh, You yourselves are letters written on your hearts, known and read by everybody. You, you show that you are a letter from, for Christ, the result of a ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Now, each one of us, we all sang this morning, I'm a child of God, so I'm, I would hope that that, in fact, applies. Um, 
I just as a church, we're moving further into um, intentionally building communities. <laughs> okay. Um, so I pray that this pa passage would be foremost in your thoughts. There are many people who have never picked up a Bible. You will be that, that message to them. You will be the, their, their book. Um, the word, uh, sorry, a reflection of, uh, sorry, let me read my notes, then I can read. There are many people who have never picked up a Bible, but our lives are a reflection of the word, which is Jesus. And through us, we are God's recommendation to the world. Have you ever associated a perfume or a smell with somebody or a particular person? Every Christian should also be known for wearing a particular perfume, the fragrance of Christ. It can't be bought in a shop. It can't be bottled and sold by the church. This mysterious perfume, perfume rises out of our intimate relationship with Christ and wafts as, as a subtle but noticeable influence towards others. Someone said about a Christian in his small town, town the woman never crosses my path without being the better for it. Now that, if we could do that, can you imagine if we meet each person and they think that? You're all the essence of Christ. Wear that essence boldly and remember you may well be the only book that person reads. Let them be drawn to Christ through the essence you wear daily. When having praying with, uh, with Debs on Friday, I closed my eyes and saw a bright green light. We likened it to the little man when you crossed at a pedestrian crossing. I lost it. Sorry. Um, Christian Christ. And I believe this is a green light for all of us, for the church, to move forward and be bold, but to continue maintain the essence of Christ as the work will be done. His strength and it, uh, in his strength, and it's important that it is his light being shone and not ours. Be vigilant, though, for the amber light, showing us to be cautious, or even the red light, with God telling you to wait. But go forward with God's essence, and permeate the people that you meet. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. That's fantastic. Really good to hear that. It's good to hear it from other people um, as well. So, how do we apply this message today to see that transformation that we're talking about? Well, really, I would say decide today. Decide today to put knowing and experiencing God as our first priority. And then let him bring his word alive and be transformed. Let's ask God what lifestyle change, maybe it's even a small one, will help us to know him better. For myself, it was literally turning the TV off a little bit earlier in the day and making that time for God or getting up earlier. But it could be anything for you. I'm not saying that's for you. God will speak into that situation as you surrender and give him that. Okay, if I can ask you to stand, please, and the band to come up, that will be brilliant. Um, the more we get to know God, the more secure our identity is in him as his children. If you've fallen asleep for the whole of this sermon and just waking up now, because I've asked you to stand up, this is the bit, bit, right? The more we get to know God, the more secure our identity is in him. All right? So today, this week, 
this month, so on and so forth, let's slow down and give him space to input into our lives and be amazed at how he transforms people around us. Amen? Okay.